The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV shop some reviews, along with news and opinions called the entertainment industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host. And with me is a guy who would love to play Garrett's Celebrity Wedding, my co-host. Hey everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airwaves. On this week's episode, we'll continue our coverage of the spring TV season or start of the summer TV season as Bill and I review Orphan Black along with our sitcom section, which is almost wrapped up, but consisting of the penultimate episode of Community. But as always, we'll also bring you all the TV and entertainment news of the week in the News with Nico section, including a special discussion of the news this week between Dan and Nico. Yes. Okay, we are doing that just to add a little bit more meat to the episode since most of our favorite shows are on hiatus right now. So we're going to be kind of sprinkling episodes throughout the summer is what's going to happen. Then uh, right now we're going to finish out Orphan Black okay, Community, so we're going to take care of that. And yeah, we're going to do a couple of extended news with Nico section with me joining in on the chat just to, you know, give you guys something to look forward to in the fall. Kind of let you guys know that we're still here. We're still with you and want to provide content. We just need to pull back a little bit to take a break so we can give you guys better stuff in the fall. So let's take it away with that news with Nico section, which really had some interesting stuff. Arrow had to halt Harley Quinn's story arc plans. The CW originally had big plans for Harley Quinn in Arrow, according to the series' Thea Queen actress, Willa Holland. However, those plans were nixed by DC execs due to the character's involvement in David Ayer's upcoming Suicide Squad movie. While we never saw her face, we do know the voice behind Harley belongs to Tara Strong, who also voices the character in the Batman Arkham video game series. Get out the animated series. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, I gotta throw that in there. Quote, we had big plans for Harley, but I guess something came down from DC execs that told us to shut it down. Holland told Flickering Myth. I mean, we had to, that tease with the pigtails and the Argus outfit, but we'll never see it. We would love to have Harley in Arrow, but it will never happen. Dan, we had discussed that DC really didn't need to worry about this sort of stuff if they went full-on multiverse with the cinematic yes. and TV series being set on different Earths. So why shut down such a great idea on Arrow? You know, it sounds like we won't be seeing her on Arrow, but, you know, it, at least we're going to get plenty of Harley in the Suicide Squad when it hits theaters on August 5th, 2006. But why do you think the DC executive shut it down well this this is my thing I, I i would love to see harley on a show i'm not too keen of her being on arrow because a lot of people were really upset about rothal cool being on arrow get a lot of people are saying well you know season three isn't as good because you know, rothal cool is a batman villain which is a lame excuse but a lot of people were just like oh it's too, too much of a batman story it's not an oliver queen story so i feel like if harley was on arrow it would be the same kind of deal so i just don't like a batman villain being on an arrow show okay that, that's one thing there but the bad news about this because it pretty much confirms a lot of people's thought that they killed off Deadshot because they can't use it either. Okay, the Suicide Squad is a dumb thing on Arrow. Okay, that's unfortunate because I think that's a good concept for the show. Okay, it's something that Oliver deals with on the show. Deadshot is somebody he's contended with from time to time, along with many other members of the Suicide Squad. So for the Suicide Squad not to be a part of the Arrow TV universe, that's nuts. Okay, they need to go with this multiverse thing because it's not bothering anybody. And the other thing is they're all under the same umbrella. I mean, it's not like a Marvel with Disney and then Marvel with Fox situation here. They own it all. So I don't see what the big problem is with the red tape here. I mean, I feel like that they're all 
supporting each other. And I feel like the excitement of the TV show could see these Suicide Squad characters. God, they were always going to bring people in to see the Suicide Squad movie in the summer. Because I had to explain to several people what the Suicide Squad is or how it works to the, you know, the average shows that are just watching the superhero TV shows. Or are just fans of Will Smith and want to see Kim as Deadshot in that movie. So I think that this would be a good way to advertise that movie to get people really intrigued. But now with that out of the loop, that doesn't work. So that's what kind of bugs me about the whole thing. Um, Harley, I'm not too keen on because, again, I want Oliver Queen to find his own villains, not Batman villains. But as for the Suicide Squad, kind of beat out of the picture on the show, which this is confirming that kind of sticks. Yeah, I agree. I, I would have liked to see this Suicide Squad idea still stay, but I'm not opposed to seeing some Batman villains here on Arrow. I, I don't mind when there's mix-ups because in the comic books, we get a lot of those mix-ups. We get a lot of characters coming into other stories, and I, I don't have a problem with that, you know? I'm, I'm glad we're still going to see a lot of those characters show up in the movie. At least we're getting that in the movie. I think it's going to be fun, but I don't think that they needed to do this. I think that we could have had different actors playing the same characters in different multiverses, like they're going to yeah. have to do for The Flash. They're going to have to eventually do for Green Arrow, and, you know... But, but how do you explain Carly in a world where there's no Joker? Because I feel like you have to have Batman get a universe that's the Joker. That's the Joker. I think they can get away with just the assumption that the Joker and the Batman exist yeah. without having to actually reference or show them. I think that everybody knows Batman. <laughs> everybody knows. Right. But does that defeat the purpose of, you know, Gulliver being the first hero? The, you know, the one that kind of is the model that everyone's kind of going after, even though Barry discovered maybe that's not the best thing to do. I, I don't know if you have to say that he is the first or only, only one when he first starts i i don't know i yeah. I, I guess maybe it, it it puts that into question or makes it something that isn't true but i'm okay with that i mean for me batman was the first superhero right <laughs> right mean, well I know, yeah, super, I, I know superman beat him out by a couple issues in real life but to me batman was always the first superhero well, for, to me i would feel like it was just batman and superman with her yeah you know that they first they were the first ones to show up yeah I, I feel like they're different entities yeah i i guess i don't have a problem with it i i just wish that the the executives weren't screwing around with the tv show to make the movie yeah. its own thing kind of like that either there, there were things that wrecked the justice league limited show but its final season that had to do with this stuff yeah so i i, I really still kind of called a grudge against dc or Warner brothers or whoever made the decision for doing that too Cause especially when i feel like they had rights to it because they established all this stuff first mm -hmm. so that was just my opinion with that well speaking of the suicide squad watch the batmobile chase the joker on the set of the suicide squad by the time suicide squad gets released next summer we probably will have seen most of the movie thanks to the abundance of weekly leaks which have sprung forth from yeah. that set this week we got a glimpse of the batmobile chasing the joker through the streets of gotham we know that it's the joker's souped up purple ride thanks to last week's leak of a scene featuring jared leto's crown prince of crime and margot robbie as harley quinn the good news is that with every leak this film looks even more appealing there really isn't any bad news unless you want the whole thing to be a surprise next year when you watch it in which case you really shouldn't be listening to this news item or dandelion's <laughs> discussion but the batmobile looks great the joker mobile looks great the film just looks great what do you think of the footage dan do you like the new design of the batmobile and and Mr. J's car. I'm excited to see this movie. Mm -hmm. One philosophy I have, except for After Earth, and that's a Mike Shyamalan's fault, is that Will Smith makes a good movie. If you go to a Will Smith movie, and he's in it, you're in for good entertaining good time. Yep. So I feel like him being in it makes this movie great. Again, it's got Joker and Harley Quinn. I love those characters, so I'm all over that. God, I have a feeling we're going to see Batman in this movie, which is awesome. 
Yeah, that does happen. So, I mean, that's great. And uh, I would think a good model for what this movie's going to be about, in case you're curious. Because the animated film, Batman Assault on Arkham, yep. I think that's going to be very, very similar to what this movie is about. So that's how it's going to go down. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Come, I think they've got a very good director. Tell me this. I trust him a little bit more than Zack Snyder. Come, I think this is going to be gritty and dark and just a heck of a good time. So this is going to be a good movie. Can the actors that play Charlie Quinn, because that's the same actress that was in the movie Focus. It is. With Will Smith. Yep. So they already have chemistry together. So that'll be good. Yeah. Because it, Deadshot kind of flirts around with Harley. So that'll be fun to see. Exactly. And there's a triangle with the Joker. Yep. Which is kind of fun. Yep, exactly. I think that this is going to be a great movie. It looks so good. And every time I see something coming out of it, like I said, there's almost a leak every week. It, it looks like David Ayers knows what he's doing and he's got a great plan and I'm excited about it. Well, it's, it's a very successful comic. Mm-hmm. It is very successful. Yep. This is a good choice for DC. Can I really hope it spins off into a Batman film? Let's hope so, right? Again, I don't know if Batman Affleck could have directed himself get a Batman movie, but I'd like to see him direct a Batman movie. That would be cool. That would be yeah. cool. Maybe he'll get the chance to direct the next Batman when they go to a, the younger version again. Yeah, that's true. It's yeah. possible. Now, an Orphan Black alum is joining Heroes Reborn. Dylan Bruce, a.k.a. Paul from Orphan Black, has joined the cast of NBC's upcoming Heroes Reborn event series in a recurring role. Details about Bruce's character and arc are being kept under wraps as much of the actual plot and script points have been for this entire series. Airing Thursdays this fall on NBC, Heroes Reborn features new characters with extraordinary abilities and or nefarious motives to hunt and harness their powers. The newly empowered allies will sometimes cross paths with original characters, unlocking the mysterious fate of the universe and their place within it. Original cast members include Jack Coleman, Jimmy Jean Lewis, Mazioka, and Greg Grunberg, who will all reprise their roles alongside newcomer to the series and Chuck alum Zachary Levi. Yes. Dan, I know you don't know Dylan Bryce from Orphan Black yet, but what are your opinions about this reboot so far in all the news you've heard? They are making very good casting choices with the show. Mm-hmm. Everything I've read, I've been pleased with. The characters I care about are still going to be around, so I'm gay with that. Um, I don't think you could do this show without Hero. Mm-hmm. So him being there is just great. Again, I feel like this is KBC saying, we're sorry we screwed up and canceled <laughs> two very good shows, so we're just going to put them together. Yeah. And Zachary Levi is going to get people to come watch this. Yeah, I think not having Peter might be a, a detraction from this show, but everything else we've heard about is is going to be good. So I'm, I'm excited. With his powers and Siler and you know, his brother and who's his brother and that. I, I think it's going to be okay. Yeah, it just the original series had such a focus on him. The first that... season was excellent with him. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. Agree. absolutely. But then I, I, you know how that goes. Yeah. But again, I, I'm telling people, look at this as a X-Men Days of Future Past take on Heroes. Right. Where they're I mean, going to try gonna to six... fix it. It's only going to be six episodes, so we can't expect a whole, you know, whole new arc. Well, it will be a whole new arc, but it won't be like, you know, a whole new series, if, right. if that makes sense. Right, you know, right. it's going to be a way to extend the original series, see if there's any interest in it. And if there is, maybe we will get an extension of the series into multiple extra seasons. But this, I think, is just a little shot across the bow. See if there's enough interest in these characters still and this world to focus on trying to revive the series in, in earnest. So it'll well, be interesting to see. I know a lot of Chuck fans that didn't watch Heroes that are not going to watch this because mm-hmm. of it. So I, I mean, I feel like he's got Nathan Fillinfall. So oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like that the way Castle took off, this is going to take off as long as they don't do anything screwy with his character's powers. So or kill they, or kill him. So which which would be stupid. That that would be the dumbest shot in the foot that you could ever do to a show. He's yeah. killing him off because he's just too beloved of good actor to be killed off. But I do think he's playing a villain in this. So killing him off in the end may be the interesting. The plan. So no, no, no. I, that may be interesting for for fans to stomach. See him as the bad guy. But again, Nathan Fillion did it very well on Buffy. Mm-hmm. So it's possible. 
For sure. Game of Thrones Season 6 Casting Breakdowns. With the fifth season of Game of Thrones three episodes from being finished for its long winter's nap, the look ahead to the future and its sixth season is upon us. And this article on Nerdist.com is chocked with speculation and spoilers, so if you're afraid to know what might be coming in the series Endgame, skip to the next news item now. And most definitely do not follow the link in the ACC feed. You have been warned because it goes deep into book reader knowledge territory to talk about the new casting breakdowns the show released and trying to figure out what it all means. Dan, I don't want to spoil anything for you either or our listeners, so I'll leave it there and encourage everyone out there who is either a book reader like me or is interested and not afraid of spoilers to check out the casting call details and theories on the Nerdist.com website. So if you click the ACC feed now, it'll take you there. But remember, it's a spoiler, so don't, you can look at it with your own discretion. I haven't even looked at it, and you'll hear my opinions on whatever they talk about. Probably down the road, got our th- episode of Thrones cast. This is finale stuff, right? Kind of? No, it, it, it dives into stuff that we won't see until next season. Okay. So, I mean, it really is spoiler stuff. You should only watch it if you don't care about spoilers, or if you want to know some stuff okay. going into it, or if you're a, a book reader like me who wants to see what some of the theories they're throwing out there. But it so, could even potentially be spoiler for a book reader, because a lot of the things are things that we suspect might be coming from future books so i mean it's it's really spoilers you got to be careful because they dive into some concepts and and theories that are only discussed on subreddits and you know so you'll hear my thoughts on it next year yeah definitely definitely when we get to finally talk about season six yep Yep. exactly Doctor Who returning to Comic-Con for 2015. Following their absence during the 2014 San Diego Comic-Con, several cast and crew members of Doctor Who have been confirmed to appear at the event in 2015. Peter Capaldi will be in attendance for the first time after a season as the new Doctor, along with Jenna Coleman, Michelle Gomez, and lead writer, executive producer, and showrunner Stephen Moffat, and executive producer Brian Mitchin. All five will be on a panel held in Hall H on Thursday, July 9th. The newest season of Doctor Who will air this fall with a two-part episode on BBC America, and as we mentioned a few weeks back, showrunner Stephen Moffat doesn't expect the show to end anytime soon. Dan, this was pretty much expected, but isn't there something wrong with Doctor Who not being at Comic-Con, and isn't it great news that it won't be like that again this year? Well, I think they need to do some work with this new Doctor connecting with fans. Yes. So people were having some issues and things. Well, I think Peter Capaldi going, kind of people getting to know him and getting to know the type of guy he is, which I've heard he's a very good guy. Well, I think it's a good thing to get people behind the character. Because Matt Smith interacting with the fans, I think, did wonders for the love of his Doctor. Oh, for sure. And so I think this is really going to help him out. Again, I think we will see a warmer Doctor this season, because we talked about for what we saw in the Christmas special. Yep. So I think that'll be a good thing, and, I, and I'm anxious to see footage, or at least hear about footage, because I don't know if it'll be released online, but God, just to kind of hear what the next season's about and get a little insight, that'll help me out. Come right. if, if they show a warmer Doctor in these trailers, or that's one of the major plot lines, that'll make me feel good, which I think it's going to be. But um, that being a Comic-Con, at least us getting some insight, I think is very important. Yeah, I understood why they weren't there. They were still shooting. They were right. still, they were just about to embark on the six country tour or the around the world tour that ended up being like six different countries, six or six different continents. And yeah, I mean, I understood why they weren't there. It was just disappointing because Comic-Con without the Doctor is, you know, it, it's something less than it could right. be. So that was why I was disappointed last year, but I understood it. But the other, the other thing with that is they had to build a whole new world around a new Doctor. Mm-hmm. And that transition is a lot of work. Oh, absolutely. Because even when the smallest thing changes in a script, it's a lot of work. So I think an actor change, that's going to be nuts. 
Gotham promotes Harvey Dent to series regular. Fox's Gotham is promoting Nicholas D'Agostio, who plays Harvey Dent, to series regular status. The Masters of Sex and Heroes alum debuted on DC Comics-based drama midway through season one as freshly minted ADA Harvey Dent, one of Detective Jim Gordon's precious few allies in the fight against all that is wrong in Gotham City, and a person with his own particular two-faced destiny. Gotham also recently upped Marina Baccarin to series regular status for season two as Jim's sweetheart, Dr. Leslie Tompkins. So are you excited about this news, Dan, or is this pretty much you expected it goes back to my reason that i said on the dc nation podcast could talk about the finale they shouldn't have killed off Maroni because yep. this would have been a perfect way to set up the plot line carby dead being pushed series regular that makes sense they need to establish that relationship between him and gordon get in it maybe we need to see bruce realize that these are the two people that could make the city right because that might be something that comes down the road but we do need to start the beginning of that that relationship between them that's a big part of gotham city and it's mythos so i agree with that but you do need to have him have a character that's taunting him to go to the dark side that Maroney was the one that did that. And we saw in the last season that Maroney's capable of doing that based on what he did with the relationship between the Penguin and his mother. So my point is, you know, why not carry that on good to season two unless they're planning on leaving that to the Penguin or someone else to do because they're a little bit more popular. Sure. So I don't know. Okay. But it makes sense. Yeah, definitely makes sense. I, I'm okay with this. I, I think it's going to be a good thing. But the thing I was most excited about was hearing that Marina Baccarin had been upgraded to a series regular for season two. That really excited well, me. I love her. character. Oh, yeah, the show. character's great, but I, I love Marina Baccarin. Plus, I'm very intrigued to see how she gets to the character that she is in the comics. Exactly. And what happens with her and Gordon. But they do need to establish a relationship between her and Bruce. Because yes. that's an important thing. I think she needs to start being... I think Bruce needs to get injured in their in Alfred and his sparring and in their yeah. their training. And she needs to come in and it must. it's got to be by the end of the series, she has to somehow end up in the new Batcave or whatever the Batcave cave is at that point so that she knows his secret and is yep. like one of the first people outside of Alfred to know it because that becomes an important aspect of her relationship with Bruce and with Batman. Yeah, that, that, that it's a very important thing. She uh, she was also friends with the Wade Bruce Wade's parents. So mm-hmm. maybe they could say that she worked with his dad, you know, when he was going through or went to med school with or his went dad. Or went to med school with his dad. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Something like that where she's in front of the family. Maybe she could be like a you know, former girlfriend or something like that. It's always a possibility. Like I th- before I think... he met you know, Bruce's mother or something. Yeah, but I, I think that maybe stamps a little bit on his parents' relationship or yeah. you know, even if it is before. Which hasn't been her. explored ever. So I, that's another thing. I don't think they will because they're they're going pretty heavy with the the Gordon relationship. So I don't yeah. think they want to muddy it at all with either flashbacks or or right, talk exactly. back to a time when she was with Bruce's dad. But I do like the idea that maybe they were friends and they were maybe com- competitors or people who drove each other to be the their best in yeah. med school. That's they had a, that, you know, competitive friendship relationship. I think that that would be a great thing to explore. Or she was a confidant of Thomas when he was doing stuff and doing the first, you know, the prequel to the Batman stuff he yeah. was doing when he was doing his investigations. Maybe she helped him with that and, you know, didn't want to burden Bruce with any of that information. So I, I do think that there are plenty of options that they can do without having to dive right. into maybe a relationship that they had had. But I do think some of those friendship things or confidant things would be very interesting. Yeah. And I kind of want to see the same type of thing with Lucius Fox. It's all confident, confident. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We know he was a confidant of yeah. Thomas. So, and I yeah, want that explored a little more. That would be fun. 
That would be fun. Keeping it in the DC world, we're going to go to Chris Pine looking to play Steve Trevor in Wonder Woman film. Although rumors had been circulating recently that actor Chris Pine would possibly be taking the part of Green Lantern's Hal Jordan in the DC Cinematic Universe. Which would be kind of awesome. It would have been. It now looks like he'll be taking the role of a different sort of man. According to Variety, Captain Kirk may play Diana Prince's longtime love interest Colonel Steve Trevor in Gal Gadot's 2017 Wonder Woman solo film. In the classic comics, Trevor is the Air Force pilot who crash lands on Paradise Island and is the instigator for Princess Diana to leave her home and journey to the world of man. Traditionally, Trevor is more often than not portrayed as a self-assured and cocky, but totally not threatened by Wonder Woman's incredible strength sort of man. Earlier reports had indicated that Scott Eastwood, son of acting legend Clint Eastwood, would be cameoing as Steve Trevor in the upcoming Suicide Squad film. But according to the original report, though, it seems Eastwood wasn't actually ever going to play Steve Trevor in that movie, but was simply given the choice to either test for the Trevor role or sign on for a guaranteed supporting part in the Suicide Squad, which he then opted to take. So Dan, what do you think of Chris Pine as Steve Trevor? Is Captain Kirk right for the part? Steve Trevor is very similar to Captain Kirk. Right. He's kind of a ladies' man, like Captain Kirk. So I think it's fine. Okay, again, you have to know in the current comic book, Steve Trevor is kind of the Jack Bauer of the DC Universe. He's somebody you don't want to mess with that doesn't have superpowers. So this is a very good choice. I see it. I see it very well. I also see him as Hal Jordan, though, too. Because Hal Jordan is very similar to Captain Kirk. You know, he, especially with Chris Pine's portrayal, in the Star Trek movies. He's really kind of portrayed him as a Tom Cruise Maverick fighter pilot mm-hmm. kind of guy. God, that's exactly what Steve Trevor is and exactly what Hal Jordan is. So I think this is a good casting if it was in either role. Well, Hal Jordan doesn't work for me because Hal Jordan's going to be a side character in this version of the DC universe. The right. Green Lantern for the upcoming Justice League is going to be the Stuart character. So it's going to be a very minor role to bring in Hal Jordan. So I think Chris Pine's almost too big of a star to yeah, play exactly. such a small role. It's okay for him to play the sidekick almost because Steve Trevor is definitely a Wonder Woman sidekick, but it's also a love interest. So it makes sense to have him and he does evolve into such a much bigger character when the Justice League comes right. and he's essentially the human or the non-superhero, the buffer between the US government and the superheroes and the and the Justice League when they develop. Right. So it's a huge part in that sense and it, it would take the gravitas or the star power of a Chris Pine to play that. So I think he's a great pick for the Steve Trevor role rather than the Hal Jordan role. Right, and again, you know, he's kind of, Steve Trevor is kind of like, for you Marvel fans, the, the Agent Coulson of the DC Universe. Mm-hmm. in a way yeah so, yeah yeah big name actor who, who is, has a star power good enough to be in multiple movies kind of would be you know recognizable and like a sam jackson kind of way chris pye would be a good choice for steve Trevor. yeah sure agree. um he yeah he, it, it's it's a good call but again i felt that they needed a little more star power a little uh, uh, actor with a little bit more of a track record of the ghetto in the wonder woman movie okay chris pye is a good choice because he has a pretty good track record mm-hmm. serial podcasts will get two more seasons it was a phenomenon beyond anything people could have predicted whilst podcasts have been around for a decade, it took Serial, Sarah Koenig's examination of the 1999 murder for most people and many grandmas to know what a podcast was, even though Dan and I have been doing one since 2010. Yeah, I wish we had their numbers. It was such a piece of water cooler chatter that there's no way Koenig wasn't going to make more. But it's been months since the ending of season one, so what's been going on? Well, she's been busy making two more seasons, it turns out. It was announced on Thursday via the Serial email newsletter that there's not one, but two new seasons of the show on the way, with the second premiering this fall and the 
and season three premiering in the spring of 2016. The show's producers wrote, quote, we hope it means we can reduce the amount of time between the end of season two and the beginning of season three. I totally agree. It's been way too long and I want more. The first season of the podcast followed the case of Anand Syed, the man convicted in Baltimore of murdering his ex-girlfriend, Hyman Lee, when the two were still in high school. It delved into what was pretty much a weird case that a lot of people agree shouldn't have been met with such a speedy conviction. Syed himself maintained his innocence and Koenig went digging for facts but raised many more questions than she did actual answers. As for the new seasons, they promised to deliver two new stories. Whether these are more true crime stories or things completely different, Koenig is a veteran of This American Life, so they could be really anything, has yet to be announced. But the lack of wait time between seasons sure will make it easier on fans. Now Dan, did you listen to season one of Serial? Were you swept up in the real life murder mystery and this excellent investigative reporting that really changed the face of podcasts? If not, will you be downloading and listening to season one before season two drops in the fall? Because I highly recommend everyone do that because it was so good. Quite researched and read about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I haven't really listened. You should. I, haven't had time. <laughs> I do know I should. God, God, what I'm going to say about it is covering a type of story like this, he's got to require a lot of research and legwork. It took so over I'm, a year. Right. So I understand. Okay, and you want to get your facts straight with something like this. You don't want to get on the air and just kind of spout things off willy-nilly like we sometimes do around here. It's kind of sure our critics, but again, we're covering television, a piece of fiction, so it's a little bit safer to kind of go out there with crazy crackpot theories. But in terms of a court case, you got to be a little more on top of things. So I understand why it takes so long, because I think it's smart for them to back out two seasons in a row, so then you have time to work on a fourth season without leaving your listeners hanging. Exactly. So, from a production standpoint, very smart move. This was, seriously, Serial was one of the best things of last year. It was absolutely yeah. a knock-it-out-of-the-park home run for Sarah Koenig. And unfortunately, it does take so much time to get it going that there was inevitably going to be a long hiatus. And they weren't even set up to do a season two because they it's season one was funded by NPR. But if she wanted a season two, she had to prove that she was self-sufficient and it would pay for itself so once season one became such a such a explosion yeah explosion a blockbuster hit they started asking you know as npr does for donations and the reason that they're getting two more seasons is because people went gangbusters for this and they were like oh yeah i want more (laughs) and we're willing to fork over you know it's all donation stuff and it's all going to be released for free so people went and and donated you know i donated for a second season i i I gave 30 bucks because i thought this was so good i want to see more and i could have given you know nothing or i could have given one dollar and still been eligible to listen to it but i I loved season one so much and i love npr so much that i gave i I direct gave to the serial podcast because i i thought it was so good and i that's why i'm so this is not a normal news with nico story we don't usually talk about other podcasts we don't usually talk about things like that we talk about television but this is part of the entertainment industry and so i figured it was something that i needed to talk about because it was so good and i i do recommend anybody who is interested in in crime or true crime or anything like that should go and listen to this even if you're not interested in that and you want something new in your life this is worth it. it is so good it's such an interesting story such told very very interestingly by sarah kennig and it is just it's worth the time it's worth the 40 minutes a week for a couple weeks or in reality if you're if you're listening to it now and don't have to wait for it to come out the next week you can just go and download them all you're going to catch yourself listening to quite a few of these 40 minute episodes in a row and i would highly recommend doing so by the way uh, just to make a tv connection gay uh, police procedures show actually stole this idea 
to turn it into an episode. So uh, the the show uh, Mysteries of Laura, which my parents watch, I catch it from time to time. I'll just watch it with them. I don't, I know, I know Nico has his issues with Deborah Messing. I do not but, like her. But they stole this idea. Cause they actually had Melissa Joan Hart, believe it or not, as the Sarah, in the Sarah Koenig role. Okay. The case, and then it was, you know, a boyfriend who was accused of killing his ex or his girlfriend in high school. So same type of story. I mean, it was serial dead on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, just dead on. All right, and now finally, our last news item of the week, and probably Dan's favorite of the week, Electra to be in season two yes. of Daredevil. It appears casting is underway for Ninja Assassin and love interest of Matt Murdock, Electra. The news comes from Marvel Spiders tweets, which linked to deleted video auditions for Shiva Kalisavan. She does known movie or TV credit, and Louisa Minon from Wish You Were Here. Both videos reportedly showed both actresses' respective auditions from the same two scenes. The first with a criminal victim and the second with Matt Murdock during their college years. Although believed to be auditions for the role of Electra, the videos claim the actors were auditioning for a character called Elise. Both videos were removed fairly quickly, but you can read a description of the scenes and the actresses in the link in the ACC feed now. Now Dan, you've seen Dear Daredevil while I still have not. Does Electra make sense for season two from where season one goes and where it left off? There's a flashback to college that hits at her that they have in the show. Okay. They, so yeah, it, it's, it's in the works. The other thing is, the way the show ends with the finale in, in terms of a certain end. It sets up the story arc that was in the comics where the Electra first comes. So I am very much so looking forward to this. The story that Frank Miller wrote could be Daredevil and Electra and could ultimately occur death, which I mean it is common comic book knowledge and if you've seen the Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck happens, it's a very, very, very good comic book story. Probably one of my favorites, probably my favorite that Frank Miller has written. The movie screwed the pooch on this story. Again, like so many of my favorite comic book stories, the movies have that got them right. From what I saw the first season of Daredevil, they have that comic that on the money. I mean, it was it was Daredevil through and through. Because I loved every moment of it. Because they actually improved things that Frank Miller did very well with the comic book. So to see them play with Elektra is going to be brilliant. Because again, with Elektra, that means Bullseye has to come. Because that's going to be great stuff. So as, as well as they did with the Kingpin, D'Onofrio did with the Kingpin, I could not wait to see the other big kind of villains or adversaries to Daredevil show up. Um, Elektra could go adversary or ally with Daredevil. So that's why I say adversaries with that. But I'm very excited to see these characters. I'm very excited to see where they go, and I'm interested to see if Elektra is going to interact with another very strong female character, God Daredevil, that is strong, but strong in a very different way than Elektra. Because I'm kind of interested to see how they're going to react to each other. So that's going to be very, very interesting as well. So I, I, I very much so look forward to this. I think it's a great call and, and the right, way to, right place to go. Because again, whoever they cast for Elektra, they need to keep in mind that this is a character that could pop up and cross over into the Defenders or possibly the film world. Because I do think we may conventionally at some point get a Daredevil or, you know, Electric Cameo or one of those characters pop up in a upcoming Marvel film, I think. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought maybe some more, but I don't know. Well, there is there is some talk that Matt Murdock will show up in the film, so I think you're absolutely right that it makes sense, and I'm hoping that they, they are, in fact, doing that. I mean, we know that Marvel is so good about connecting their stuff right. and keeping it all the same, so th- that ex- that's exciting. So, Civil yeah, War absolutely. will have an effect. God, the Defenders, I have a feeling. Oh, for sure. And, and Matt Murdock actually defended a lot of the superheroes that were put into, you know, were put in danger by the Civil War situation. Sure. So he's a lawyer, and, and the law part is a big part of the Netflix show. So I think that'll come into play. We may even see him defend a superhero on season two. Good deal. Yeah, I mean, could be any number of the people from the Defenders <laughs> need legal help. Of course, sure. character could pop up. I don't know. Oh, okay. okay. I, I just say that, throw that out of all. Sure. All right. And that's the news with Nico for this week. Yeah. And with that, we're going to go into Orphan Black. We are. Yeah. My dad's going to join us as we talk about the seventh episode of season three entitled Community of Dreadful Fear and Hate. (laughs) 
Allison must secure a storefront in order to take her and Donnie's business to the next level. But things don't go according to plan when her mother, Connie, proves to be a major hindrance. Cosima is facing familiar death issues and calls upon beleaguered Allison for a favor. But with Allison working to save and imperil Donnie from the merciless hands of a drug lord, it's Cosima who ends up doing a favor. An unassuming Scott gets closer to the greatest discovery of all when he sits down with the beleaguered clone, Rachel. So then, as we've started each week for the last couple off with the same question, I'm going to ask you, what was your favorite part of this week's episode? My favorite part of this entire show this week was Donnie trying to act the gangster, and it ended up badly for him. Boy, we you called it last night when he got the wrong envelope, didn't you? Holy freaking Christmas cake. My favorite part of the episode was either Donnie getting threatened to have his nose sliced off or S punching Helena in the face. Donnie being captured but not taking it seriously until they threatened his nose was great. But I laughed the hardest when S just smacked Helena right in the nose. This week's episode ended up feeling like a setup episode that started the collision course that will be the final three episodes as this entire episode focused on getting Sarah's family back together or at least on the way to being that way. Dad, besides all the Sestras getting back together, what else did they set up this week? despite not even seeing the caster clones. Well, I'm not really sure. It seems to me that the caster clones, though, are the only ones that infect other people. What's this all about? I'm not really sure where we're going with the casters at this point, but and I really did miss seeing any of those boys. Yeah, I think you're right about them being the only ones that are contagious. And I think that that has to do with their version of the protein or how it is involved or the fact that it's in their gametes. And since the gametes of a male enter into the female or other sexual partner, it's more likely that that's where the transmission is as opposed to the females not having their gametes enter into the sexual partner. Anyway, you know, I was really surprised that they did not even hint at the fate of the caster clones, especially Rudy and Dr. Cody from last week. As I said already, I think this episode started in motion getting all of us back together. But I'll go a step further and say I think that all of them will begin working on finding a cure to the caster protein malformation or misfolding issue. Also, I think Helena's baby will have something to do with that cure, along with Kira, of course, because they're so special. What that is? No clue yet, because it appears the stem cell protocol did not fully work with Cosima. Anyway, in this week's episode, the spotlight was squarely placed on Team Hendrix, but really mostly on Allison. Over the season, we've seen little glimpses of her campaigning and secret drug dealings, but th that storyline was brought into the forefront in this episode, but it still doesn't seem to be fitting with the rest of the overarching plot. Despite that, this episode did a superb job of weaving in and out of the three main Allison threads, and it was great both Felix and Cosima got roped into things as well. As Allison put it, holy freaking Christmas cake. I think one of the most ingenious bits of storytelling here, though, was the ticking clock they put on Donnie's nose by none other than Pouchy, the guy who chopped off Vic's finger in season one. While Donnie mixing up the envelopes and Jason building up the courage to kiss Allison were both pretty predictable, it was a funny twist that he smooched Cosima instead, thinking it was Allison. Dad, I know you enjoy Team Hendrix, which is why we usually end the episode each week talking about our favorite moments with these two, but what are your theories on how Team Hendrix hijinks tie back to the other sisters, the dyad, the caster clone stuff, and all the rest of the main plots of this season? Are we going to finally get an idea of how it all plays together? Well, firstly, I think Hendrix's drug dealing is going to fund the war between the casters, but it's still too controverted to see where this is going. Possibly, and this is really wild thinking, Pouchy might be the muscle to combat the casters. Yeah, you know, I was trying to figure out what it could possibly be, and I did not see a connection with the drug dealing, the battle for the school board, or anything Team Hendrix is doing with the rest of the sisterhood. But I like your idea that possibly the drug dealing is where they get the money to fund their war against the casters, or to fund some of their outside science to try and figure it out without the dyad spying on them or interfering. I guess that is just one of those things we'll have to wait and see on how it all works out. 
Speaking of tying story arcs together, Delphine and Cosima's urinalysis storyline was surprisingly enough an effective connecting piece to keep the momentum of this episode going with regard to the overall story arcs. In addition to springboarding the Allison and Cosima hijinks, it also led to some awkward moments for Cosima, Shay, and Delphine, not to mention Rachel, whose test brought about an intriguing sea story with Scott. I particularly enjoyed them playing Scott's medieval farming RPG game as a cover. And most importantly though, the urinalysis should hopefully give us some insight into the caster Lita defect, which seems to be playing in Cosima again in full force. Also, we saw the codes start to be decoded. Dad, what do you think Duncan's secret code hides, and do you think Rachel will actually play nice with Sarah since she said she'd only tell her what the code says? Not sure I know what the code says, but I really, I, I think this was a very good part of the episode. Yeah, I love Scotty basically saying, you will play this and you will like it. It's our cover for the game. And as to the code, I think it's a secret message meant only for Sarah. That's going to be our season-ending cliffhanger, I bet. As a scene where you see Rachel and Sarah wheeling off into the distance, and Sarah's eyes then bulge with revelation, but we don't hear it exactly what Rachel tells Sarah. That'll be our next season cliffhanger. Okay, so ultimately you believe that Rachel will play nice with Sarah and tell her what needs to go on. Because my guess on the code is that it's a cipher for the actual original genome of the clones, or a secret set of instructions on how to build or find the original source materials. For example, it could be the names and locations of the original source donors for both the Lita and Caster clones, or it could be the original DNA sequence of the clones with the modifications made to them and how to reverse such modifications. Essentially, the book would be the recipe for cooking clones. As for Sarah and Rachel, I'm not so sure that Rachel wants to play ball with Sarah so much as get a chance to do some harm to her as payback for the eye and brain damage she suffered. Maybe she's been humbled by her experience and wants to find a cure to help Cosima, or even selfishly to save herself in the future when she becomes infected, or when the defect takes effect of her. But I hope she joins the Sesterhood. But then again, if she's on their side, who's the enemy? The caster clones? Are we going to see them next week? Is, is Are they going to be the, the big bad from now on? I, then, I don't know, because it seems like they've been kind of making it seem like they're all on the same side. I just, it's one of those mysteries that we're going to have to wait and see, I guess. Regardless, this is the one plotline that seems most likely to be tying all the other arcs together, and I think things are going to start ramping up in, for the penultimate and finale episodes in next week's episode 8. Only three more episodes this season, time to start bringing it all together. Finally, since Team Hendrix was such a major part of the episode, we will finish this week talking about Helena, Sarah, and S's meetup in Mexico. Sarah and Helena's post-escape scenes were brief but memorable, mostly thanks to a cool cantina setting and Helena stealing some money from some guys playing poker. This segment also addressed how Mrs. S sold out Helena last season. I love the scene where Helena kept hitting S trying to goad her into a fight, and then S finally snapped and punched her, but immediately pulled her into a hug. And that seems to have brought herself an uneasy alliance with Helena. What did you like about these scenes, Dad? Do you think Helena forgave S too easily and maybe it's only on the surface and may try to kill her later? I love the whole cantina scene. It was really something out of a Quentin Tarantino movie. I don't think, though, Helena will go after S. I think this was exactly what Helena needed. Just one big motherly hug. I think all is forgiven and we are one big family. Oh, isn't that what Allison preached in her campaign speech? It's the sisterhood family versus the dyad and casters. Fight to the end. Yeah, I'm still worried that Helena forgave S too easily, but maybe she is just tired of fighting everyone and wants to be part of a family like you said. We saw her leave Sarah but ultimately come back for her and save her. Maybe part of that journey, eating the imaginary scorpion and her walkabout in the desert brought her to that conclusion. Maybe she is just biding her time to kill us. I'm just not sure. I like your idea better. I'm hoping that's the way it goes, but it could just as easily be her reverting to her psycho self and going after us. We'll have to figure that out next week as that's all the time we have for this week's Orphan Black discussion. Alright, thanks dad again for joining me this week. We'll talk to you 
next week as we discuss next week's episode. But now I'm going to bring Dan back in. We're going to talk about the sitcom sections and community. Yes, we are going to do that. We're going to go into talking about another hit it out of the park community episode. At least in my opinion, because that was done in a very, very fun style from Ovid's perspective. The community episode, Wedding Videography. A surprise marriage proposal in Jeff's law class reveals an unexpected connection between the bride and groom. Yeah, well, you know, nothing is really safe for being parodied by community. Because it's writers went for an episode done in the documentary style come its rival sitcoms, including Parnock, The Office, and a show we cover here on ATA, known as Modern Family. On that note, like most of community's parodies, this one worked. Because it was a rare chance for a traditionally filmed sitcom to get into its character's head without being completely jarring to the audience. Thanks to Ahmed's breaking the fourth wall ability. Based on the versatility that comes from Ahmed looking at his life like the TV show it really is, we were able to get some great comedic moments, such as the study group playing Garrett's wedding, Celebrity Edition, Chang screaming, I'm all alone, after the group rushed off Clay to the wedding, Galroy showing off his encouraging white people skills, Danny coming up with names that were variations on celebrities for her inner dragon, got Jeff's apparent brilliant wedding toast, revealing Garrett and his bride were cousins. Also, who would have thunk Chang turned out to be the character who saved the wedding, with the inspiring speech normally taken care of by Jeff, but it was so unexpected it came off as an incredibly rewarding moment for fans of the character and Chang himself. So if Ken Jeong departs the show after next week's season finale to star in his new ABC sitcom, Dr. Ken, then this is a great final standout moment for the time he spent on Community. Go oh, and can someone please send me a copy of the sexy girlfriend footage Annie had on and film of her in case she's ever kidnapped or killed? Because Nico said about the black dress last week, Yowza. So Nico, what were your favorite comedic moments from this documentary style or documentary style episode of Community? Yeah, Dan, my favorite comedic moments from this week's community were Jeff's emergency best man speech accidentally uncovering the fact that Garrett and his wife were actually cousins. The fact that this episode was focused on Garrett in general, who was who's had a much bigger role this season, but wasn't really focused on Garrett at all, which was kind of the point. Yeah. I do agree, Dan, about the scene with Annie and Abed filming her missing lover footage was both sexy and hysterical, yeah. as we realized what was going on. As were his pleas with Annie not to gym the camera. That yeah. was a fun running gag. Then, of course, was Elroy revealing his addiction, which was encouraging white people, yeah. which... What a strange and random subplot, but so well played. Great to keep David again hitting it out of the park. Exactly. It's just been a hilarious part of the season. Now, unfortunately for me, this episode just didn't have it overall this week and was a major letdown after last week's possibly best episode in years and definitely best of the season. Even the end of the episode tag, which have been a highlight of the lack of time restrictions for this season on Yahoo screen and a highlight overall. It was a complete miss for me this week. Briggs Hatton, the writer of Community 6's incest episode gag, just wasn't funny or as imaginative as the rest of the season. The fact that Hatton is the actual writer of the episode, but they had to get an actor, Matt Gourley, to play Hatton on the episode only further disappointed me with this bizarre scenario. But the bearded guy that they did get to play Dan Harmon did crack me up, so yeah. that was okay. I don't know. I was disappointed overall by this episode, but it had quite a few laugh-out-loud moments for what essentially could have been a dud episode. So even when it's not that not the best episode, it's still pretty funny this season. So that, that talks about how great this sixth season has been. See, I personally like this one better than the, the hand on the trailer episode. <laughs> okay. I, I did, and, and that's my, my personal opinion. You know, what, what I expect from the show is to give me something that makes me laugh. Get it, did. 
Yep. And and again, I think this episode was stronger than some other episodes this show has had, like, you know, season four today. A few good of those kind of episodes. So Kai was very satisfied. And again, Keith David came through making me laugh. So I was satisfied. I think next week will be really, really good. I think that'll make up for this one. But, uh, you know, I was, I was entertained. So that was a good outing for community for me. Good. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, that pretty much wraps things up for today. We will be back, you know, covering for our community a few other things. So, Quev, Nico, tell everyone what we have going on in our next episode. So, Nico, if you want to share that with everybody, that'd be great. Yeah, next week's episode, we'll have a News with Nico section with all the TV and entertainment news that's come out in the next week, and we will continue our coverage of the spring TV season, start of the summer TV season, as we review an episode of Orphan Black, along with our sitcom section, including the season and possible series finale of Community. We'll have to figure out that when they make an official announcement. So join us next week for Orphan Black and Community. Also remember that our entire back catalog is available. If you're just getting caught up on any of the shows we cover, go back and catch Dan and my thoughts on the episode. But for even more reviews and information on all our favorite shows, check out the blogs available on our website at across theairwaves.com. Now roll that pre-recorded closing. Get at our Across the Airwaves website. You can check out our other podcast shows, including the DC Nation podcast, located at its own website, dcnation.acrosstheairwaves.com. Get in the iTunes store, which reviews the TV shows Gotham, The Flash, Arrow, and Constantine. Get if you want reviews on Marvel Comics-related TV shows, such as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter, get the Netflix shows premiering in April. Check out the podcast hosted by Gandhi Mabacht, Nikki Amy, and myself, known as Helicarrier, the S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, located at helicarrierpodcast.com. Get in the iTunes store. In addition to these programs, check out Thronescast, our podcast hosted by Nico, Nikki, and myself, dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheirways.com or on iTunes. Can you can send us your thoughts on each Game of Thrones episode by emailing us at thronescast.gmail.com, tweeting us at thronescast, again, that's at thronescast, leaving us a voicemail at 773-809-3363, again, that's 773-809-3363, by posting on our Facebook page, located at facebook.com slash thronescast. Also, you can listen to Across the Airways, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, a Game of Thrones podcast, Get Helicarrier, the Shield podcast, Got the Mix Internet radio station, Code by Jack Stifle, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the Podcast Box app, because if you're on a Windows or Android device, you can download our apps from the Amazon Marketplace. Got the Windows Marketplace, because a regular Windows phone app. As for how you can contact us to give your own insight on the TV shows we review, provide suggestions on how we can and can prove your podcast listening experience, or just to say you like what we're doing, email us at acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter at Across the Airwaves. Again, there's no the on there. It's just Across the Airwaves. Join our circle on Google Plus. Or leave us a voicemail at 773-809-3363. Again, that's 773-809-3363. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies, got television events, such as Avengers Age of Ultron, Batman vs. Superman, got Star Wars Episode Seven. The Force Awakens. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels from past Comic-Cons and will be a great source to find videos coming out of Comic-Con 2015 this summer. All right, everyone. So once again, for our ATA podcast hosts, Nikki Amy, Wu Kim, got Michael J. Petty, Kai Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Revstek. Got until our next episode. We will catch you on the airways. See you, everybody. Have a great week. Enjoy the community finale and everything else we got coming out. And go outside for a little while. Enjoy the summer, too. See ya.
Mr. Lefts, man. <laughs> We now return to our regularly scheduled program.